We are live. Right on. Um, so today, actually, this is our first, I think this is the first time, even with PBF, that I've had somebody participating that's not in the military. Um, we've got Father Turbo Qualls joining us. Um, you know, we've wanted to branch out with a number of different people at times. We've talked about it. We've never actually executed on it. But I think um, we get a lot of questions at times from you guys here in the audience about, you know, various questions. And I, and I think the last podcast, too, I spoke to this specifically with Doc. You know, so one of the challenges that I find a lot of times is that I don't even want to talk about things sometimes because I'm not sure that I've got the authority to speak on these things. So I always like to say, hey, look, I'm not a priest, but what do I do if I'm not a priest? I go and get a priest. <laughs> and so joining Doc and I today is Father Turbo Qualls. Father, thank you for joining us. Ah, it's my joy. How's it going, guys? It's going well. Yeah, but thank you for uh, taking the time and everything. I think, um, you know, there's, I, I'd like for us to, to cover some basic ideas here. Um, Doc's a little bit newer. I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably what, like, Doc's in preschool and I'm in kindergarten as far as the uh, Orthodox faith goes. And, um, you know, I, I won't speak for you, but I know you're definitely a few grades ahead of me, if not a whole... Uh, at multiple levels. Uh, so what we'd like to do is just, you know, talk about some basic ideas and things is um, I think first though, what I'd like to start out because I think there may be some people who may not be familiar with you. So if you wouldn't mind, you know, just kind of giving a little bit of a background on yourself um, and maybe, you know, what drew you to the Orthodox faith and kind of where you are now. You hear me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I got muted somehow. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, we're good. Um, so I guess the best way to start, um, I'm from Southern California. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, excuse me, in the late 80s and the 90s. And... Um, Southern California at that time um, was kind of, you know, a hotbed for lots of culture, namely like punk rock and things like that. And so um, I was involved with that pretty early on. And that's important because it, it, it gave me, it, it built out a capacity for me to look at the world from a different lens and um, I guess question certain, you know, uh, popular narratives, you know, popular paradigms about life and just basically being okay with going against the grain, you know, for better or for worse. And so you know, I grew up in that in that milieu uh, of subculture and um, everything that kind of comes with that. And so probably around, oh gosh, um, the mid 90s, the end of the 90s um i had you know uh, a series of events um that led me to um you know a, a 
active uh, faith and pursuit of, of uh, Christian spirituality, Christ. And that began a, a kind of like another chapter and that I, I followed that path mainly, you know, kind of evangelical, uh, you know, non-denominational Christianity. Um, and I, I did that for a number of years. Um, and, you know, I got married early. I got married in 2000 and, um, you know, had my first child at 2000, end of 2001. And, you know, kind of like turned another chapter. And it was around this time that I was introduced um, kind of like not directly to the Orthodox Church, but to Orthodoxy, if I can make that distinction. And I guess that'll come into play later if we talk uh, if we talk more. So, um, and that was primarily through, you know, an icon of Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of things to fill in some gaps. You know, I was uh, a tattoo artist uh, and I'd been at that point in time, a tattoo, art, tattoo artist for like, um, you know, five, six years at that point. Um, and so, you know, being an artist and, and being, uh, and tattooing, tattooing in the nineties, even up into the mid to, you know, mid nineties, late nineties was a very different animal than it is today. So, um, culture wise, it was a very different animal. That's, that's kind of important too. Um, so the, this convergence of, of, you know, kind of art and subculture and, um, Father, could I interrupt you? Sure. Um, pardon me. I just was curious. So when you talk about it was different, could you maybe just give a little of a contrast of what it is now versus what it was then? Sure. So, um, I can't speak for anywhere else, you know, but in California and I'll, I'll say, those who are from California, they know to say California in general, like no one ever says California because California is like three states put together. If you're from California, <laughs> you know. Um, but I say that because in regards to the tattoo community, you know, it's like spending time up north in Frisco and um, really, you know, that, that period of time um, for quote unquote body modification, subculture, whatever, tattooing and piercing is very different. It was still very underground. Um, but it was it was a good sweet time because um, around 90, between 90 and 93, you began to see an influx of artists into tattooing, like, you know, Philip Blue and, and uh, Grime and um, saw these great people who were bringing in a, a different quality to tattooing. And it wasn't just, cause some of the stereotypes are true. I mean, when I, when I first started getting interested in tattooing, it was really tough because, um, it was a certain strata of people, you know, um, the biker and all that stuff. That was kind of like, that was kind of the thing, you know, um, certain Chicano, um, culture, that was another side of it too. Um, and then like I was in the kind of like punk rock end of it, which really didn't have much um, connection to the industry in regards to being in shops that was more like underground and scratching and things like that. So, you know, there's this whole influx like graffiti and all these things that was coming in 
at that time. And so what that did was um, it was this really sweet time because it was it moved it out of just a really, really, I mean, it's always been niche, but it's like a really small section of people. And it, and it brought in this really creative element to it that, and it made it much more open. And, but it wasn't, it's, it, it was still very underground. It was still very taboo. Um, and it didn't have the, um, since then, right. And, and really with the proliferation of things like Miami Inc was like the first show and then like, and then like, you know, Ink Masters and all that stuff with, like with anything else, exposure through TV and things like that, it, it really began to get watered down. Um, and it, it just changed, you know, like for instance, sure. you, didn't, you didn't get into it unless you were apprenticed, like period, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, or, or you were incredibly either a gutsy and just kind of did your own thing and people respected that, or you were so talented that you kind of like, people had had to accept you, you know? And those people were very few. Most, the vast majority of us got in through an apprenticeship and that's, the apprenticeship had everything to do with who you knew, not so much what you did, if that makes sense, you know? So- And, and, and that was really kind of grinding work. Like you were just a gopher in a lot of shops as well, weren't you? Oh, oh a lot more than just a gopher. I mean, you were a runner, you know, yeah. if you don't know, like you, you yeah. You, yeah, you were you were putting your freedom on the line. If you understood what I'm talking about, so yep. Um, so yeah, so it was it was very different, um, and and so with with this new thing, and it's just you know, it's just it's a different animal, you know. And I don't sure. I don't I don't want to be that old man who's like, oh, these kids today. It was it was a different animal for sure. Yeah, totally understand. So sorry, I just, I, I felt it was kind of good, you know, to give yeah. that contrast to where yeah, things good. are now. Also out of uh, curiosity, Father, what part of SoCal are we talking about here? Because <laughs> I'm from SoCal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Orange County, Orange County. Okay. Um, OC. OC, yeah, yeah. So, so and you were like the Anaheim kind of area, weren't you? Yeah, Anaheim, Fullerton, Orange. My The shop I print that was an orange. Um, at that time, actually, it's another thing. If, if anyone knows Orange, California, like at at that time, there was only um, two tattoo shops in all of that, in all of Orange County, in all of Orange, the city of Orange, and then like maybe five, maybe, you know, um, in in Orange County at that time. And so I went. And, and I'm just thinking. Time. I'm just thinking too, Father. You know, uh, with. The Orange County too. You had like the Huntington Beach punk, Huntington Beach punk yeah, rock yeah, yeah, scene yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. and the influence that had. For sure, for sure, for sure. So that was that was all in play, you know, and um, and so yeah, it was. You know, I mean, like I said, everybody thinks well. Everybody except for like kids now. They 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 think they grew up in a sweet time. So I grew up in a sweet time. You know, it was good. Um, yeah. There weren't a there wasn't a cell phone in sight. <laughs> Man, there wasn't a cell phone in sight. It was funny too because I was just thinking about this while I was trying to put this uh, Telegram thing on my on my desktop. I was like, but I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I was completely tech like digitally technolo technologically illiterate. You know, like I remember. You know, I mean, I didn't have a cell phone or know how to really like. I grew up with a Commodore sixty four, but 
like having to actually do all this stuff, it was, um, thank God, you know, because yeah. I'd be so, I mean, it was a series of events and I hate to say that, but if, if, if certain things didn't happen, I don't know where I would be because people don't understand if you, if you really don't, it is like the beast system. If you don't have a certain degree of connectivity, you're lost. I mean, you're, you, you, it's so tough. And that, that's kind of funny because it plays in this whole thing with tattooing, even with orthodoxy. I mean, so much for the better has made, has been made possible because of the proliferation of technology, but everything comes with a price. Everything comes with a cost. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. 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 You know, it's a sort of a, that thing too now where I find I have so much respect for, you know, Mennonites and uh, the Amish and people like that that have managed to survive in this world without that technology. When I was the one who used to look down on those people because they couldn't do it. And I was like, oh, you don't know how to do this. You know what I mean? Really snidely. And now yeah. I'm like, wow, you know, the the, the watchers, uh, they definitely brought some things for us, didn't they? Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it, it's it's interesting, too, because the this whole situation in regards of watching things change in a lifetime. And I mean, orthodoxy is, it's no different too, because it's, um, it's a very, very, very different thing. Um, even in my short time coming to the church, my wife and I, we came into the church, um, 2005. Um, and, and you started to and, mention about that too, because you said it was, you got, into did you say you got into orthodoxy but you didn't become orthodox is that how you described it well i i was introduced to orthodoxy but not the, but not the orthodox church so in other words what yeah. i mean is um i encountered an icon someone had given me um a book about orthodoxy but orthodoxy as a praxis as um a way of life a paradigm all that good stuff it's it's distinct, although not separate, I guess, from from the church, which is the body of people, right? Um, yes. And and so I would say that's like really important to understand because people become quickly enamored with orthodoxy, which it's the most beautiful thing ever. But the problem for a lot of people becomes when they start actually encountering the orthodox church. And that's where a lot of people, um, they, they'll begin to kind of hiccup and, and uh, sputter a little bit, you know, and, um, and, you know, they just, they just need the right kind of on-ramp. They just need the right kind of coaching because it's just part of it, you know, you're, when you're dealing with people. Um, but I love the church, you know, and um, I just, I don't know, I, I thought that'd be an interesting distinction to make for people because, um one of the things that can happen is you can hear someone like yourself talk or maybe me, I guess, and people could really like to hear what's being said and they can resonate some of the truth, but then orthodoxy can't be lived out in your head. That And that's something that is tough for people to wrap their, their minds around. You know, you can't read about it, study about it, watch YouTube videos and, and be orthodox. You have to, in order to be orthodox, you have to be with, with, orthodox people you have to be within the body if that if that if you understand what i'm saying and so um 
Yeah, this and I think that's important too, because I, I, I know I've um, run into that sometimes with people as well to understand that because the church is the body of Christ. And, yeah. you know, a, a lot of people, especially, you know, people that are autodidactic, self-learners, kind of stuff like that, because there is, I think, at least with what I found, and, you know, I'm not trying to say this um, in any way bad about any anyone else or anything like that, but a lot of the people that I have run into in Orthodox churches or even, you know, at, at times online as well in the community, but you've got a group of people who they're, they think a little more deeply about things. And that's part of why they like the church. But at the same time, too, there are those who are attracted to that level of it, whether it's the church fathers or something like that, that they found. But then it's that next step. Right. Right. And it is the next step. And and it's really important, too, because, you know, when people are living in an isolated sense of just what they've read, um, they can conflate having information with experience and they're not the same thing. Um, or I should say they can conflate information with knowledge and they're not the same thing. And so in order for information to become knowledge, you have to have experience and experience is a lived thing. It's it's it can't be. You can't grasp or, or enter to experience um, from like discursive thought. You have to, it ha it's existential, you know? So, um, so this so is like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. Please continue. Oh, no, I was just going to say, so this is, this is just like an important thing to really, to get a hold of because again, um, you know, I, I mean, I hate to say it, it sounds like, and I sound like an old man, but. It, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, I remember going to some, like, it was like an event, you know, as at a monastery in California, uh, a new monastery had, that had just started and um, like a book, book fair, whatever. And, uh, you know, there was very little um, in regards of English, like very little. And this is this is the mid '90s, you know, um, and the explosion. I mean, it, it's truly without without like hyperbole. It's exponential the amount of stuff on orthodoxy and on the church that's out there that's you know in English and stuff. And that's still nothing. I mean, the still the vast vast majority of stuff hasn't been translated into English. And so, you know, it's just it's it's good to keep that in mind. Um, because on the other hand too, it's like, um, you'll get it by living it. You know what I mean? Um, well, it, 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 it creates what I found and I'll speak for myself and, you know, you've witnessed or people, so you can speak to this and maybe even doc, you can talk about yourself. I know for me, there were a lot of things that people talked about in reference to orthodoxy that I didn't understand. Um, and even like, you know, sort of the mystical side of the church and things like that. I wasn't completely sure kind of, you know, what it was they were talking about, but it's one of those things as I've participated, I think especially after I became chrismated and, you know, uh, participating in the gifts, the Eucharist, the communion, to participate in that, that that has helped a lot. And then, you know, getting to know you and, um learning a lot from you you know in in watching a lot of videos too as well that you participated in you get you as 
we haven't talked about this yet, but we should put a link to this on here as well. You do have uh, a podcast that's really good as well called The Royal Path, but there's a lot of other discussions. But it's exploring it in that way. But I think most of all, participating in the church, going to the services. And I'm not, I could, I've made it to some services. I'm probably not the best as attending every service possible sometimes. Sometimes work gets in the way and things like that. But I think that that has made a big difference for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think that's one of the biggest things to understand too, is that when you lose sight of the actual participation that's necessary, then what you're left with is like a caricature, if that makes sense, you know? And the reality is, is that what we're trying to do is we're trying to encounter God and, uh, you know, we encounter God through primarily um, the services and the sacraments. And um, I think, I think the thing is, is for a lot of people, what they, what they struggle with, what they struggle with is that um, it feels like a bunch of magical thinking. It's a, if that makes sense, you know, they're like, well, what yes. do you mean? If I, if I just do this, if I just do this, if I just go to these services and I just kind of, you know, do all this stuff, you mean I'm going to encounter God? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you will. But, but, well, but the, but the context though, the con and the, and I hate, you know, forgive me, but the devil's in the details. It's like, it isn't just kind of like going there an automatic pilot. You know, what it is, is it, it becomes a, um, becomes a doorway. You know, it's a touch point by which um, these moments, everyone's had these moments. I don't care who you are, you know? Military, not military, man, woman, like it, it doesn't matter. Everyone has had these moments when they've um, encountered a flash or a glimpse of something bigger than themselves. You know what I mean? And those flashes and those moments, those are those moments can be um, not just sustainable, but they can be um, zoomed in on. They can become um, instead of just kind of like, oh, oh, what was that? They become um, almost like the lens by which you begin to experience your whole life. And that's a wonderful thing, but it, it, it takes you really coming outside of yourself in a way that is, um, you know, very odd for us, especially in the time that we're living in and the place that we're living in. You know. Well, to that point, Father, I think um, people are looking for that, but they're looking for that outside of Christianity. And that might be something that they're encountering through yoga or even, you know, uh, the, the DMT experience or something like that. Because we have, in my opinion, uh, we've, we've stripped out that element in a lot of ways in Western Christianity through the accepting enlightenment thought and placing Christianity within the box of enlightenment thought. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, it, it's, 
it's one of those things where um, there's this weird paradox, you know, like um, a lot of people, when I talk to people, a lot of people have never ate a salad before. You know what I mean by that? A lot of people have never ate a salad before. I don't yeah. know what you mean. Okay. So a lot of people, they've had salad dressing with maybe some lettuce and a tomato. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they've never, they, they've never. Okay. Just, yeah. Yeah. Their people are used to just being so oversaturated with, with like their senses. And, and do you, do you see what I'm saying? That mm -hmm. if I, if I was to tell someone, oh, just try eating a salad with just a little bit of olive oil, salt, and like pepper, and it's actually much more delicious. Mm -hmm. And people mm -hmm. will look at you like you're crazy, you know? Uh, but the thing is, is like, if you do this, what you'll find is that um, the those original elements, which constitute a salad, um, there's something wonderful that has been really kind of hidden from you because of this uh, really kind of actual gross um, habit that we have of needing to have everything soaked in something just like over the top. Everything's over the top for us. You know what I mean? Like um, a woman can't be a woman anymore. She has to be a Swedish bikini model, right? Uh, <laughs> Like I, I could just go. Oh, what is a woman? <laughs> I'm a medical professional. Man, we should talk about that. We should talk about that. I'd be happy to talk about that. Um, let's. Could we go through a few of just some of the basics here? I would like you know just to cover maybe some differences between sort of orthodoxy. Roman Catholicism, Protestantism, some of that. Talk about icons a bit and talk about confession. I think those sure, are some of the things sure. that would be Let good. And then let's move to that. Let me just finish this thought because people are like, what the heck is this guy talking about salad dressing? All right, so. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing is, is with enlightenment thought and everything that that brought, what, what it's done is people think that you need to have DMT, you need to have yoga, you need to have something over the top to experience God. And that's why so many people are lost because it's much easier to experience God and the smile of a child than it is watching a Disney show. It's much more easier to experience God, you know, eating some freshly grilled, you know, salmon or whatever, or, or whatever, sitting with someone. And, and, and I know that sounds sappy to people, but just so we're clear, I was in Iraq in 2002, 2003. I was in Kosovo in 2001. Uh, unfortunately, I've been, you know, incarcerated. Um, I've been in the street. So, like, I've seen it, you know. Um, the reason why I'm throwing out there, I'm not trying to get points with anyone. I'm trying to say I've seen horrific things. And I, I'm just telling you that that leads you, you know, this what what the world tells us including you know trying to dope us up but all the different things are actually making it worse and that sense of like needing something over the top that's part of the problem once you recognize that that's part of what's keeping you from experiencing god 
then it becomes so much more easier. So that's, I just wanted to kind of close that loop so people understood what, what kind of like why I went there, you know? Well, because orthodoxy, I'm sorry. You know, forgive me, because I was just going to say, because with orthodoxy, people can look at it and they can just like seraphims and cherubims and, you know, God doing this and burning bushes and all this stuff. It's like, you know, people can really get turned off and think that it's, you know, like, of one giant, you know, role-playing game, and and it's not, it's not, it, it's it's, but it, it's it's incredibly profound and, and deep, you know, it's through simplicity that we begin to experience this. So that's what I want to say. Forgive me. And actually, funny that no, you father, say absolutely, that, uh... and I would like to just add on top of that. I think that finding simplicity is difficult and frightening. Yeah. Well, there's nothing to hide behind. Yeah. Yeah, I, honestly, uh, funny that you mentioned that. I think it was last week where it was uh, Ascension. Like, it came to a moment in liturgy where, like, you're, you're correctly, like, once you take away all these extra things and then you're just quietly and you're praying and as the liturgy was going on, I, I don't know at what point it happened. And then, like, I, I like I felt this peace like I'd never felt before. And, like, it, it just it overtook me. And it was, like the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced, like nothing like ever before, like no offense to like all the other Protestant homies, but it's like you take away everything and then you just listen to the prayers and throughout the liturgy. And it just, it was uh, like, like nothing ever experienced before. It's like you said, like you take away all this extra stuff and you, you have the things that you need and it just completely takes it on another level. Completely, completely. And it's almost too like when you start to look at food as sustenance versus pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that um, once you begin to do that, then you're actually able to encounter food as a sacrament, which is pleasurable. But now it's stripped of all the the abuse. Do you know what I'm saying? It's stripped yep. of the abuse. And that's the problem because because food is supposed to be pleasurable. But we think that, again, oh, it's not pleasurable for, for a married man to be, you know, to be intimate with his wife, who he's committed his life to, and they sacrifice raising children. Uh, that's not fun and sexy. What's fun and sexy is go get yourself, you know, a hot 20-year-old, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, <laughs> that. forgive me, I, 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 people are probably scandalized because I'm a priest, but I'm just saying, like, this is, I'm just, I'm being real. This is this is the type of stuff that leads people astray. You know what I mean? But father, the beer, the beer commercial says that they need to get the twenty year old. Exactly, exactly. You know, and so and so the thing is, is that um, this is. I mean, for when I okay, when I was in the streets, quote unquote, and doing my thing, it's like, if someone was to tell me, you know, the best time I would have would be, you know, eating eating some some venison with some brothers and my kids playing out in the field and my wife sitting with other women. And you know what I mean? If someone was to tell yeah. me like that, those are the best times I've ever had, I'd be like, what are you talking about? That's, that yeah. sounds like terribly boring. You know what I mean? Like, but, but it is, you know what I mean? If someone was yes. to tell me, like doc was saying, it's like, you know, when I was in the midst of, you know, uh, you know, in the mission district, just out of my mind on, on on LSD, like, oh, actually, you know, the most profound, deep experiences you were gonna have 
we're going to be holding a prayer rope with with in a very very dark closet in your house you know what i mean like i'd be like what are you talking about that's you know what i mean well, well um, you know what too father i think about with that as well because you know i did some heavy duty exploring of all those things and you know what i, I came out of often I was going into it thinking, you know, especially when I was doing artwork, that suddenly my artwork was going to get magnificent, right? You know, like suddenly yeah. I was going to do this. And you know what? My artwork and my writing got worse because I was no longer relying yeah, on yeah, yeah. myself. Makes total sense. It makes total sense. And, and, and I couldn't accept that. To me, that's almost as well sort of that paradigm you reach with the pharmacia, the, yeah. the legal pharmacia. You know, when um, I was really depressed and I was, you know, thrown on like Paxil and, you know, Xanax and whatever else. And then I would, you know, drink a bottle of whiskey on top of that just to try to make the pain go away kind of thing. And right. uh, not realizing that those medications weren't making me feel better. You know, like they're supposed to make me feel better, but why aren't they making me feel better? You know, that it's it's hard to cross that shift in the mind because you're expecting it you're told it should right right yeah it's um it's a whole thing and it, it's it kind of connects us back to the life of the church because there's so many influences telling you you know which way to go what to do how to feel how to get better all that stuff and um it, it, it's like if you're left to your own devices, it's it's almost impossible. It is impossible to to try to find a way out, you know. And that's where the church comes in, and the tradition of the church comes in, and it's just like it's this rope in the midst of this incredible quicksand, and you just grab the rope and keep you know holding on and following it out, and you'll get out. You will. So, Father. Could you give me an elevator pitch? And if this is too limiting, however much time you need, what makes orthodoxy orthodoxy and what differentiates it from things like Roman Catholicism or Protestantism, evangelism, Calvinism, whatever? Evangelism. evangelism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just going to turn some things on their head. I mean, honestly, the big thing is, is that Orthodoxy is the is the revelation of of God, as as proven and delivered through uh, his prophets, um, his chosen people, his saints, people who have experienced him, and 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 um, and all those other things are the traditions of men. And those traditions of men, I mean. There's benefit there. You know, I don't want to be disingenuous to say that there isn't a benefit, but um, orthodoxy is pure and uncut. <laughs> I just that's the best way to put it. <laughs> this is the this is the flake. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, and so and so when you kind of understand, then you then you you know we say in the church, you know, oh taste and see that the Lord is good. Once you kind of can, once you can wrap your mind around it, you have to taste for yourself. I think that's the biggest thing that I would stress today is just like, all this is good, whatever, you know, and I pray to God that I don't turn anybody off or scandalize anybody, but like, unless you taste for yourself, it kind of doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Um, because I guarantee you, if if you, you know, and, and of course, like with anything else, it's just like, 
this is the real stuff. So you got to be careful. You know what I mean? Like you can't just go in there willy nilly because you might, you know, <laughs> you know, you don't want to overdose or something. So like you, you really want to, to really go in there with, with wisdom and you want to go in there with humility ab above all things, because a lot of people they've, I've seen, I've seen it so many times people come in guns blazing. They think they know, they think this, they think that a couple of years they get chewed up and spit out and you know, God has them. And what I've seen is it, it takes a couple more years for them to come back around because they've been humbled. But I've known people who like, they came in, like I just came out of Bible college. I, I've, I've seen it all, you know what I mean? And um, no guidance, no humility. And then they, you know, they run, they ran right into the wall. And, you know, they're gone for a couple of years. Um, but then I've seen them, they come back and they're like, man, you know, that was, that was rough. And they get in their action, if that makes sense. And, um, and then once they've been humbled, though, they can come and they can see, um, they can see the church, they can see God uh, as well. As humility, humility is a hard thing to have in this world, especially. I mean, look at the month that we are in now, but look at how people get most of their oxytocin and their their self worth in our age. You know, it's it's something that's completely opposed to humility. Absolutely opposed to it. You know. So, I, I can only imagine what you deal with from your end because I know the struggles that I have had myself. Um, you know, just thinking whatever I was special at or good at or whatever, and oftentimes, you know, even you know, fake it till you make it kind of things. And I think there's validity to a certain level of fake it till you make it in certain things in life, but when you're operating from that perspective there's way too much fake and not enough and not any make. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, there is real validity to fake it to make it. I mean, St. John Chrysostom, I mean, you see St. John Kronstadt, St. Thief and the recluse, they'll, they'll say things like that. You know what I mean? But, but there's always the connection to it. So in other words, they'll say, you know, this is if the recluse. he says, if you don't have feelings of love, you know, do acts of love and the feelings will come. You know what I mean? Now, there's a context there, right? The context is is that, you know, you're you you are the church. You know what I mean? And that you, the grace of God is there to help you with that, right? He's not just saying that as a self help guru and, you know, any Tom, Dick, and Harry on the street reading that, like, okay, sounds good. It's like, um, there's context, right? But there there is validity to it, but. Um, in the life of the church, there's there's way more make it than there is fake it, because it mm -hmm. the thing is is we're dealing with God, and and that's the other thing that's important to understand. We're not mm -hmm. talking about this is like our systems and this is like we're this is God and God, we can't do anything without God. Jesus says, "Abide in me and I in you." You know, unless you abide in me, you can do nothing, and it's the truth. You know, so for us. You know, some people want to fake humility, but like for us, we don't have to because we know we can't do it without God. Mm -hmm. um, so let me shift a little bit here to what I, um, why is an icon not a graven image? What makes that different? Sure. Um, 
because an icon is um, so a graven image, an idol is is a part made the whole, um, and so there there's inherent falseness to it. Um, an icon is an icon because it's it's connected and revealing something that's true, and something that's that's um, living. So, why did God in in that commandment prohibit the graven image? Because at that point in time, man and his uh, man had not received the full revelation of God, obviously, and the 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 proclivity towards idolatry is very strong. It's all it's still strong in man. It's just a different shape. Instead of golden idols, it's it's you know golden chains and cars. But like the point being is the icon um, is a window to heaven, and it, and what is heaven? Heaven is heaven is people and God connected. So the halo and the icon that's like the wedding ring between God and, and the human being, and we can depict Christ because Christ is God in the flesh and God in the flesh, you know, he, he wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a fairy tale. And his, he is the image of the invisible God as it says in, in Colossians. So when we look upon the icon of Christ, we look upon the, the truth that God became incarnate in the world for our sakes. When we look upon the icon of the mother of God, we look upon the fact that God became incarnate, in the world for our sake through the through the Holy Virgin Mary, right? When we look upon an icon of St. George, we realize that God, you know, has worked and lived, you know, has worked and, and shared a life with this incredible soldier, right? It's just, these things are true. And, you know, St. John Damascene, you know, when he talks about this, he's like, you know, when we venerate, not worship, but when we venerate, when we show respect uh, to the icon, or the that respect goes from the icon to the person, right? Um, when I was in, I'll give you an example, when I was in Iraq, you know, when I was in Kosovo, both times I had pictures of my wife and my kid at the time. And when I was missing them, when I was, you know, having the blues, I kissed the picture, right? Um, mm -hmm. That was a real thing. I really did it. TV or uh, was worshiping. Uh, you know, picture was I was I was I thinking, thinking that the picture was my wife? No, but was that love that I was expressing by kissing the picture that I missed my wife? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think most Con military people. The icon is is not uh, an idol because it's it's the, in the same sense that the picture isn't an idol you know what i mean of my wife it's not an idol so funny enough mention that father because i think most of us in the military would kind of understand that like if you have like a family or like when we're on deployment and we we do the same thing like we have pictures family friend or whoever and you know we kiss and like because we miss them and it's not a matter of like praising them or anything but yeah so I think that usually that answers a lot of things like that. Yeah, it's that connection. It's the connection. Yeah. And so we're connected with the saints. I was only going to say, too, to that point to the saints, Father. You may continue. I don't want to interrupt if you were going to add to the saints. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's just, 
that connection is is real, you know, and that's one of those things where, you know, what you'll find in orthodoxy is there's a lot of the fathers in the church will take so much of our natural experience as an analogy because because it is, you know, it's like our connection to our loved ones. The reason why we have that connection is because that's how God made us, you know, and anybody who's been through anything and that you, you feel that real loss and that, and that separation from a loved one, you feel that because the connection is real. You don't, you don't miss something that isn't real. If that makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. like that love and that connection is real. And so it's the same thing with God. Like, like all those things are just, they're all there to point us to the love. Oh, that's wonderful. That that's just points us to the, the love of God, you know? So. Well, and I think um, too, that, you know, one of the points, and I, I think you've made this before and I've heard this in other places too, what people fail to recognize when they talk about when you're seeking the intercession of a saint is these they're living right you know it's not as if and and and, and let's think of this i mean a a simple way we we talked about the photographs of our family and stuff like that time how many times do people ask even for the help of a relative who's no longer on earth you'll hear that a lot of times that's right you know and these are our family that are no longer on earth they're yeah. part of the church yeah that's right that's right and so i think one of the ways to kind of understand this too is that every whatever we're going to talk about now at this point whether it's icons whether it's um i don't know the sacraments i mean everything is kind of like a shadow of, of, of the reality. You know what I mean? That leads us into the bigger, into the bigger thing, you know? And that's important to understand because what the church does, what orthodoxy does is it, it, it purifies and it illumines, it purifies, it illumines. And then it, and then it, and then it, it, it goes even bigger than that. It, it like, it's, it's like listening <laughs> It's like watching something in black and white and then it becomes IMAX with full color like and, and, and surround sound. It's like all of life, all the details of life begin to pop out because it's it's there's that paradox of stripping away all the noise that we are like immersed in allows us to really see what's what's there. So much of what God has created is hidden under just the plastic that the plastic of the reality that we live in. You know, it's like plastic. It's like you can see through it. It's there, but it's just like if you've been living, you've been if you've been living in a bubble, in a plastic bubble, and seeing everything through that plastic, it's like it's normal. But imagine taking away that that plastic uh, screen or that plastic that sheet of plastic in between you and reality, and all of a sudden it's like whoa. You know, it's like it's so much more vivid. It's yeah, excellent. One thing that uh, you hear a lot about from people, um, why confession? What is the purpose of confession? Why must I confess? Well, before there were psychologists, there was priests and confession. And so um, we have to confess because 
first and foremost, um, our sins are like, I put it this way, if anyone's ever been in a house that had bats and, um, you know, the bat is banging around, what happens is there's this bat, this black winged thing banging around in your house. It's hitting the walls, it's screeching, it's pooping, you know, it's just like trying to get out. Are you going to sit down and have a nice meal with your family while this thing's banging around the walls, screeching? No. Probably not. No, you're not. You're not. In fact, the longer the bat's there, the more anxious you're going to be. And you're going to, what you have to do, you have to get the bat out. And so you got to open up a window, open the door and let it out. And I would say that, you know, first and foremost, in the sense of not that it's the most important thing, but it's the thing that gets taken care of. Like it's the most observable thing that gets taken care of in confession is we have these thoughts, we have these experiences that are causing us incredible amount of anxiety and pain. And 99% of the mental health issues are coming from what I'm speaking of, right? Um, but because of the society we live in, um, therapists and mental health professionals, um, you know, are oftentimes just as intimidated as the person that they're, that's on the couch, if that makes sense. And so they, they don't want to tell them the truth. They don't want, you know, that that's not the, that's not the MO of the day. The MO of the day is just to affirm and validate and, and do all these things. And um, that's not the place of a therapist. The therapist isn't supposed to affirm or to validate. Um, but that's what people do. And so what happens is the bat is kept in there. The windows are closed. And in fact, sometimes more bats get in there. <laughs> and, and this is where people start developing neuroses and all these things, right? So um, they need they need a psychiatrist instead of a psychologist, right? And so they need someone to start prescribing drugs to them because they need to calm down. So anyways, the confession is the place in which the bat is let out. Now, once the bat is let out, it takes some time to clean up all the guano, all the poop that dropped everywhere, you know, to kind of get things back in order. And once things are back in order, then you can sit down and have a meal with your family. And that's communion. So once, once the anxiety, once all those things begin to calm down, things get put in order, you're able to have communion with God. And that's the purpose of confession is that we're able to enter into a space where we are able to commune with God, but our sins, get in the way of that and so the confession is the place in which we're able to deal with them in a in a direct way does that make sense well, what would, yes it does make sense and what would you say to people who are afraid to confess there's things that they've kept which have built a neurosis but at the same time too that's revealing the secrets the things that they're afraid of people knowing things like that well i would say that god already sees it so that's part of the problem <laughs> is that, you know, God sees it, but you, but you don't have a way to really encounter God. And so it makes you want to hide and you think that you cannot, and you can't. Right. So the best thing to do is like to is recognize God already sees all this. God sees all my mess. Um, maybe just maybe God loves me. 
maybe just maybe he isn't this thing that was looking to destroy me like everyone told me you know what i mean and um you begin to develop a love and a trust for god and then what happens is once that love and that trust you there's there's just that that hope and that desperation for it then you're able to experience that love and that trust and then that that anxiety you have about being exposed it actually becomes a blessing and that quote unquote exposure becomes the relief it becomes the sunlight hitting that that infected piece of flesh that's been hiding under that rotten fetid nasty band-aid that doesn't work anymore that should have been taken off you know years ago and some fresh sunlight hits it and some fresh clean water hits it and it's like it's painful at first because it's been, you know, infected. But once you get past that initial sting, it's like, oh, I'm so glad to have this wound cleaned. <laughs> throw throw some uh, some uh, hydrogen peroxide on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, you know what? I think that's actually a good segue too, as well, to uh, to what you mentioned a little while ago. What you wanted to talk about. What is a woman? We had that really good uh, documentary that was just released by, um, oh, what is his name? I can't even remember it. Matt um, Walsh. Yeah, Matt Walsh. Yes, yes, yes. What is a woman? Which, you know, we, we've, and as you pointed out as well, Father, um, we, live in a, we live in a society, as people like to say, but we live in a society now that society. likes to say that whatever your neurosis is or whatever your conception is of yourself is real and it should be affirmed. And it's, it's really accelerated quite a bit. I think there was, you know, there was always wackiness when we were kids and things like that. We saw things like that. And obviously there was differing opinions, but you know, we've accelerated to a point now, even where you not only is what is a woman, you know, that uh, multiple personalities that people have somehow taken on, which, you know, legion i guess um you you know that's that's good you know there's like five of me within myself and they're even having relationships people are declaring to everyone now as well so um what would you like to say about this father yeah you know there's nothing new under the sun um and as in the time of as in the days of noah so shall be in the days the Son of Man returns. You know, it's like um, demons are walking the earth and they're um, they're vexing people, they're plaguing people. I mean, I know people don't want to hear that either. You know, um, and that fits into some stereotypes, right? People want to say, oh, "Okay, um, you think everything's demonic and blah blah blah." No, 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 no. There's yeah, there's mental health for sure, and there's people who need, you know, like believe me, I you know mental health professional, you know, I, I ran trauma and uh, uh, depression uh, support groups for you for a few years. You know what I mean? Uh, specializing in PTSD and, and using the step program that, you know, has been used uh, at time with people in the military. So like, yeah, that's all that's all there for sure. But it's the order of things, meaning the cause of it isn't these things that people are talking about, those are the symptoms. The cause of them oftentimes have this, have a very uh, uniquely spiritual nature. And um, it, it, you know, it's kind of like a weird, you know, 
hate to use it because the Lord used the mustard seed in a positive sense, but with his, you know, may I have mercy on me. I'm going to use it in a negative sense, but like, it's like a small mustard seed. You know, it's like, all it takes is one little real strong spiritual issue and it goes undiagnosed and untreated. And then years down the line, you have full blown um, psychosomatic issues, right? Because the, let's just say, you know, for instance, in my experience, a lot of people who have unfortunately suffered from uh, sexual abuse, molestation, things like that. There's, there's a surprisingly high amount of people who are uh, afflicted with demons who will have suffered some sort of sexual trauma. Why is that? Well, there's all kinds of reasons for it, but I'll say by the time they get to a therapist, whatever, or, you know, a psychiatrist, the issues that they're facing are real and the neurons, those pathways, they have been wired in a certain way. I mean, if you have depression for 90 days, you're, you begin to, your neural pathways are rewired. So in order for you to, in order for you to get out of that, you have to have a, a commiserate amount of time to get those, those processes, those, those neurological pathways rewired. But again, the thing is that is the fruit of something. It's not the thing, right? So it's like, you have to deal with, with the real issue. And so what psychiatrists will do, they'll go in, they'll pump people with drugs and stuff. And it may kind of like cover the symptom, but that root of, of what caused the despair that they have because they were molested, you know, um, that absolute hatred of, of God or, or all these things because their, their father molested them, that was never dealt with. Right. Um, and so, because of that, you know, it's just, it's just, you're, you're, you're covering, you're sleeping under the rug. Um, and so these, these events can open up people to things like resentment, hatred, and, and that's demonic territory, you know, though that's prime for someone to now um, harness uh, or be harnessed by these entities, you know. What? This is something that I've thought about a lot because <clears throat> it seems on an individual level, uh, yes, and then as a, at a society level, though, too, as well, as at a society level, what have we done? I mean, let, let, let me see if I can expand upon this and see if it makes sense. So, and some of these things I've heard various people you may have i know father peter here's so i'll try to keep it limited and if i go too far if i'm if i'm getting manic and say too much <laughs> i feel my mind racing so i have to uh i have to rein it in a little bit but as a society we have set ourselves up i think in ways for things like this if in the simplest of terms we've conjured the demons what i mean by that too as well is you know i look at a you know, and, and you're fully aware of this audience, um, many of the people that follow us, they're either current or former military. And in the military itself, the things that we've done, what we've participated in, what our job has been, oftentimes it's been presented as something that we are there to do good. And part of that doing good is we sometimes have to kill people, right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. However, I look at the bloodshed in places like, say, Iraq, where, you know, there's maybe a million people 
who have been who were killed and there still continues to be since the invasion of Iraq. Um, wanton destruction. Um, and to me, it seems as if there's some form of blood sacrifice that has occurred at that level. And it also has me concerned as well in, in the country because we've seen such a leftward shift that there is a group of people that are getting more and more angry that do have the weapons. And at some point they might snap. I do see the left trying to contain those people, but when they have their way, they want to have their righteous judge justice and whatever their righteous, righteous justice is um, in their minds. Right. But what that really does is that it just unleashes more, right? Because it just begats more and more right. evil gets begat. Does that make sense at all? What I'm saying, yeah. what I'm driving at? Yeah, it makes, it makes full sense. And that's, that's another reason why, um, you know, the Christ doesn't lead us to quote unquote, like a morality, although there's moral aspects to, to, to being a Christian. It's you are in relationship and, and, connection and life and discipleship with the living God. So the reason why I'm saying it that way is that there are things that according to whatever your bias, whatever your paradigm is, seems like the right way to go. There is a way in which it seems right for a man to go, but that way leads into death. And so this is, this is one of those things where, you know, discernment is a, is an incredibly, is an incredibly profound gift that the father's talking about. And, the ability to know not just like what's what's good and bad in regards of like you know apple pie you know like whatever our moral standards are for the day but it's like what is good what is evil in the eternal sense of like what does god say and and you got to be careful because this is why there's so many saints you'll get one saint like saint nestor who was the um was the uh page or the um you know, kind of like the servant of St. Demetrius. It's like, you know, there's this guy, Nestor, and he's this gladiator for, you know, for the empire. And he's blaspheming and doing all these things. And Nestor's like, he goes to St. Demetrius and says, hey, let me let me fight this guy. And St. Demetrius, like, he's like, yeah, God bless you. You know, he's like, you'll kill him, but like the, the empire will kill you. It's like, fine. So he goes into combat and he kills him. You know, and he, he kills him, it's blessed. And then he gets martyred, you know. King David, you know, the slaying of Goliath. Like, there's so many things that are there. But does that mean, like, anybody can go pick up and kill whoever you want? No. Why is that? Because there is a very, it's, a, it's <laughs> forgive the plug, but it's a world path. It's a, it's a narrow path. <laughs> and it's, it's very personal. So, like, you know, there's a kind of general thing that we all adhere to in regards to morality. It's like, yeah basically doing to others as you have doing to them. That's that's our morality essentially, right? As Christians, but there becomes something very particular where God's gonna say something to Doc that he's not gonna say to me. He's gonna say something to me that he's not gonna say to you. And that that isn't something, it's not relative in that sense because it's never going to be so outside of the tradition, so outside of our accepted morality where it's like, oh, I don't know about that. You know what I mean? But it is very personal and so the, the reality of the need to listen to God. And this is why it can't just be like, kind of like the check mark. Like, okay, I said my prayers check mark because you never know what's gonna come down the pike that day, especially in the days we're living in. It's like, 
you've got to have the you've got to have your CB on all the time, right? In regards of like connecting with God and 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 listening to God because you never know and and you got to know the basics. You got to know your basics, right? You got to have your foundation. But on top of the foundation, just know that there's marching orders for all of us. And and I think that's just important to understand because um, so many people get lost because they're not aware of that. And they want to go on autopilot. And that's what God, God doesn't want autopilot. He, he doesn't want robots and automatons, you know? So that made me think back to something else that I was thinking about as well, that it's something that I, I've stumbled upon. And I think even Doc, you and I talked about this the last time. Uh, I've got a neighbor. He's he's a Protestant guy. And, um, you know, I got those, uh, you know, Father Peter Hears uh, has suggested from the monastery that's out of Colorado, the the New Testaments. Um, you've got the uh, the Gospels and then you've got, you know, the Epistles and Revelation and, you know, everything like that. Um, two separate, very interesting translations. Very, very cool. We got into a discussion of that a little bit, and I was talking to him too because I, I had it there, and he was just asking kind of what I was reading, and uh, I was talking about you know how great this was and the idea of the the church fathers, you know, um, and what he came to me was with well you know if I, if I, him, if he is able to read the Bible and then just pray to the Holy Spirit, that he will understand the meaning of the text itself. And what say you to that, Father? No. No. No, we need the fathers to help us. And um, if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, we need the fathers to help us. And um, I mean, there comes a point where someone can receive the grace of God to such a degree that they are enlightened by the Holy Spirit. But, but all that means is that they'll be able to, to hear what the fathers are teaching with, with clarity, if that makes sense. You know, um, the, the problem that we have is that so many people out of their pride and their delusion, they think like, Oh yeah, I can simply understand whatever. And I, I'm hearing from God, but how do you know that? Um, the, the fact is that, you know, there's one body, one baptism, one spirit, which is St. Paul says in the book of Ephesians chapter four. So how is it that like, you have this whole stretch of the, the life of the church and holy tradition for, you know, over 2000 years. And now all of a sudden, because you come along, it's like, that's wrong. <laughs> because, you know, some dude in Germany in like the 1600s came along, you know what I mean? Like it's. If you break it down like that, it should really help people to kind of think like, yeah, I guess that does seem kind of weird, right? It's like, if you're really into all, like, all the stuff, right? Left Behind, Rapture, all that stuff. Okay, look, well, the timeline, if you're into all that stuff, is like, things get worse, not better, right? So mm -hmm. if things are getting worse, then that means as, we, as we've gone along, people's understanding, connection to God, and, and ability to speak on the things of God, including scripture, has gotten worse. Therefore, things like Protestantism are part of that kind of end times disintegration, right? You, you, would, you, would, you would think that like, no, no, you need to kind of like go back to where there was this 
obviously evident experience of God that transformed society, right? So that's the church, right? So reducing it down to the hyper individualism that people are talking about, you know, where I where I alone have the magic keys, that's dangerous. And we know it's dangerous because why is there so many several thousand denominations now? Well, and, and, and I mean, absolutely with that. And that's one of the things I find it's to me, okay, I, I look at the recent um, scientism in many ways that we have where, you know, there's this this faith in something that is constantly changing in front of us, whatever the truth happens to be at that point. But it's part of that outgrowth of man's rational mind. We can we can just figure it out on our own. And we'll just keep going down this pathway of us figuring it out. It kind of falls in line too as well with some of the things that we discussed with the psychology. But it's sort of, if if it came out around 100, they probably didn't know what they were talking about. You know, I mean, sure, th these might've been some people that, you know, even were with Christ, but what do they know what they were talking about? Or maybe they, they taught some of these people. It, it's this bizarre notion that everything that comes out of the past somehow needs to be rebelled against and we will progress past that um which is bizarre too as well because some of these same people will qu quote like aristotle and socrates but then the early church fathers we reject and somehow you know the guy in germany or the the guy in switzerland or whoever it was at that point you know they, they've suddenly found something new or maybe it's the guy in waco <laughs> you yeah. know uh, you know, uh, he's got a new revelation. Exactly. So these these are so problematic, and everyone has seen the fruit of these problems. This isn't something we have to discuss at length because if people are honest, they they know in their hearts that something is wrong. You know, Doc, I've been kind of monopolizing it. No, Maybe you're you good, some... dude. But um, on that last point, it's like, yeah, it's the, it's hard to have that inward look. And it's funny that you say that, Father, because even now, like, I think I talked about it on the last one where uh, I have my life confession coming up. And then there's so much that you don't realize that it is that you are doing or that you have done. And then once you start actually going through every little thing you realize how much you have to account for. And that's one thing that my priest also told me. It was like, people are scared of orthodoxy because it pushes all these things to the light that you didn't realize before. And like you said, it does open your eyes and you see kind of like on Sunday, like I can't imagine like the, the blind man all of a sudden being able to see and having that experience. And that's what this feels like. Cause it's like, it's a lot of accountability. It's a lot of really looking in deep and you're like, well, okay, I got to account for all all these things that I've done and really be good. But like you said, it does feel like a it, like I'm anxious about it. But at the same time, it's like something I know that afterwards, I'm just going to feel so relieved and just oh, so relieved. getting that out of the so way. Relieved. Yeah, so relieved. And, and it's great because we begin to really taste to see that the Lord is good and that his mercy endures forever. And it's it isn't just it isn't cheesy. It isn't just a slogan. It's true, you know. And um, he who has been, he who has sinned much, uh, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. And I think that's the thing to really kind of keep in mind with all this is that the love 
that you begin to experience from God, it changes you. And then you're able to love your family. You're able to love your life. You're able to love, love life. Um, even in the midst of such confusion and chaos, you're able to find the pearl of good price and, and you'll sell everything for it. This is, this is why we are in the church because we found something that is um, immeasurably precious to us, you know? Father, you know something you had mentioned before? And I don't even know that I've ever completely heard why. You you were in Iraq and you were in Kosovo. Why were you there? Oh, MWR. Okay. Yeah, yeah, MWR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So were you working for MWR? Uh, you know, I I I went over there, uh, uh I played, you know. I played Was that some of the the doom, the doom. Nah, no, 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 no. This was, it, was, uh, it was two different bands. One band was like a kind of, uh, you know, like we, we played covers. Both bands we would do covers, but it was like one band was uh, kind of like alternative '90s, like rock, whatever. I, I wasn't really my thing, but I did it for experience. And then the other one was was uh, another band, which was kind of like um, this band the Cobra. We were like. If I don't know if you ever heard this band, there's this band back in the day, uh, Sly the Family Stone. Oh yes, so it's if, a family affair. Yeah, so if Sly and the Family Stone were doing the Pink Floyd version of a Black Sabbath song, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I don't that, even know where that is, but I like the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, that's what we were. That's the band. Funky, funky psychedelic. Stoner rock, yeah, that's about right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that so that band that's that band was called Tread the Cobra, and we went over to Iraq, and the other one was a band called Old Man Down, and we went over to Kosovo and Sarajevo, Macedonia and stuff, the, the Balkans. Great experiences, great experiences, and um, you know, I grew up, you know, some of my first experiences into manhood. We're hanging out with some Marines, you know, out of El Toro Marine Base. Okay, and, yeah, that's right, El Toro. That's not even there anymore, is it? No, it doesn't no, exist. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, you know, that's. I mean, shout out to Mike and shout out to Fang. You know, um, I got you know, shout out to 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 Gump. You know, uh, those were guys who, you know, really kind of like took me under their wing. I was a youngster. You know, they were all from the East Coast. They all knew East Coast hardcore, Cro-Mags. Oh yeah, all that stuff. They're the ones who really kind of like got me into that, and they really kind of got me into like kind of what it means to be a man in that sense too, because they were Marines and like you know they did Marine stuff like off base, you know. And so I was hanging with them, and I just I learned a lot from them, and um, and that's kind of where it began um, my association with the military directly. Like my dad was in the military. My uncles were in the military, but like my my dad got discharged, you know, and um, and then my sister she had married a guy who was in the army, he was stationed out in uh, Carolina. It's like it was kind of like a thing in regards of playing in the background, like way in the background. But it was those brothers that um, I was hanging out with in El Toro. They they really uh, that that's where I really began to have like a kind of relationship, and so for me to do that work with NWR and just to go over there and um, 
and to serve and to, you know, in that very limited capacity um, was a real honor. Cause you know, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but I always get, I have always gotten a well, I have always gotten along well with military. Um, I just, it clicks, I get it. You know, I think in a different life, I probably would have been military myself, you know, if my life had gone a little bit differently. Um, so yeah. yeah. Or you could have just lied like I did to join. Yeah, there's, there's different ways to go. <laughs> you know, you know, you want to hear something funny? Because yeah, I'm sure the statute of limitations is long past on this. Um, so I originally went, and hey, you think, but who knows? Oh well, I started it. <laughs> I started something, <laughs> and I'm really not so sure. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, um, so. Number one, you know, like I have that sort of punk rock, uh, sort of bringing things like that. Nobody thought I would join the military. Now, what happened was it was uh, on my birthday, um, and I had a vehicle. I had this old Volvo, and I didn't know much about cars back then. You know, uh, wasn't kind of just that way. Like I liked the car because it looked cool, sort of thing. I bought it from a friend. I took it into the shop and it was going to um, the brakes were basically rusted. <laughs> it was going to be massive amounts of money for to get that vehicle repaired. I didn't have a job at the moment. Um, I was in between because I was supposed to be heading off to, to art school um, at the time. And, uh, and I was just like, you know what? Like, just one of those wacky moments, like, okay, I'm going to go. And, and I went in, I took the the ASVAB, the AFQT, and I scored fairly well on it. And they were trying to offer me the different jobs. And then they found out about, like, I was honest. I was honest about the drugs that I did with that guy. And suddenly you find your options into the military at that point are very limited. And so I completely called it off at that point. Well, for him, I called it off. I ended up traveling completely 800 miles away to a different city. Going to the military there. <laughs> I just went there. I got the ASVAB score. I told them, I was like, yeah, I smoked marijuana once. You know, I pulled the Bill Clinton on that one. I didn't inhale, you know, totally, totally pulled that one. And, and, and it went over. But I, I tell you what, not going to lie, because I was still... You know, you're you're signing those documents, right? And uh, I was just like, oof. You know, and, and I hear I also at the same time too. I I thought I really got away with something at that point too. Now, you know, you come to find out too after you join. What's what's hilarious too in boot camp is there's those guys that really just can't cut it, and uh, you know, th then they're willing to admit and, and probably just make up stories that they've done. You know, going to the chaplain, trying to find an excuse to get out, and everything like that. But that was one thing that I couldn't do. Because of the kind of person that I was, nobody thought that I was going to make it into the military, like that I would even complete it. And so just out of my own obstinance, I had to complete the process. I had to, I had to finish boot camp, you know, like I, I had to get it done just so I could prove everybody wrong on that point like that. And then at the same time too, though, to your point, father, and you know, it's like why Doc and I am talking here and you, you know, kind of like the page, what we're all about. Like, we are 
there's a lot of people that are, were just kind of misfits, but at the same time too, there's a duty and there's an honor. And, you know, Doc and I, we met because of the different pages that we run, but there's a lot of us out there. And that's also too why, you know, I wanted you to come on here and, and, and help out too, just to give some guidance to people because there's so many guys out there who either currently are or have been in, and especially as crazy as the world is now. And I hear it, I mean, every day from these people, you know, especially like with the mandates that they've had. And just seeing the world too, like realizing how crazy things are and crazy this country is and wondering, wondering like, who can they believe in? And I always, you know what I always come back to though, too, in my mind, and but it's from uh, Psalm 145, the trust ye not in princes and the son of mints and whom there is of no salvation. You know, that's, that's something that sticks in my mind. And, you know, it was, uh, I was at liturgy this weekend. And I remember that, that really, like, I don't know why it jumped out at me yeah. then. Yeah. And it was funny, too, because um, I don't remember exactly, but it was in John this weekend, too. That was the homily was from that. And it reiterated that. So that was what was really interesting as well. Do you remember the verse from this weekend? Oh, I'd have to look it up. But yeah, uh, it was from John, but it, but it reiterates that point as well, you know, yeah. about it, in trust in the middle of this world. And I think that's that's something as well that dramatic pause. Um, <laughs> we you can trust a certain level and certain number of people, and obviously, us who have served in the military. We have a lot of um, the best people and the worst people I've met were in the military. <laughs> um, and um, but at the same time, too, you know, and I think, Doc, you can attest to this. And I'm sure I, I, as well, Father, like there's a lot of really good people in these Orthodox churches, you know, and I, I can't I can't speak for every Orthodox church. I don't want it to sound as if I'm. I, I'm excusing that because wherever there are men, there are going to be bad things and there's going to be bad people. I just know that to this point with the different churches that I've attended and the different people I've met, and again, you've got to go to different churches and meet different people. It's, it's a strong character that you're going to find. That's a similar kind of character to the people that you have in the military. And I think some of it as well is the obedience factor. You're all kind of in it together. You realize it's it's a tough road. It is. It is. And so, you know, even I would just say uh, to anybody listening and having that background, um, God, want, God wants to and can use every aspect of our lives and does, you know. And, um, you know, instead of it's like Paul, when he was called, he 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 was a tent maker, you know, and he even says, like, where to stay in the in the location in which we were first called, and and I think that um, for people to feel like they, if what they do or who they are, or whatever, is an obstacle to coming to the Lord, coming to the church, it's not. It's not like the military. You know, it's like the only thing that you need, the only qualification you need to join the church is to be humble and to be willing. And um, God takes care of the rest. So. Um, you'll have to forgive me, brothers, but speaking of God and prayer, I have to uh, sign off now. And um, 
Well, Father, uh, one last thing before you go. I know you had to cut out, and I knew you were going to cut out. Um, beyond that, if there's anything else, like what else would you suggest beyond what you've suggested for any of the young men and women as well? I don't want to limit it because we do have a lot of women as well. Um, I think I would just suggest, um, like I said, taste and see. Um you know, there's so much content. I, I know that um, I don't want to put you out there too much, but um, I think if they would just contact you and get, you know, a good lead on good content, but then the content's only going to take you so far. And at some point in time, it's going to be the time to go to a service to actually begin to talking with a priest. And from there, you know, um, just pray. And with a sincere prayer, asking God to lead you to the right place. Um, believe it or not, it'll happen. I mean, I, I went out and I went all the way to Saipan to baptize somebody. <laughs> so it's like. Um, you had to, and you had to go into quarantine as well to do that. I did. I did. So like yeah. anything's possible, guys. But you just have to be willing to ask. Jesus says you have not because you ask not. You know, in, in one really, I want to add on to that, and then um, we can sign off here. What, one thing that I've noticed often, and I myself was guilty of this as well, when I first joined the church, one, to become a catechumen, then another thing even to, um, you know, be prepared to be baptized or chrismated as a priest. Are you looking for feedback from people on that for them to say when they're ready to do that? Um, what do you mean? Well, just input, be like, hey, I've been going to your church for a few months now. I think I'm ready to become a catechumen, something like that. You know, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of open to that for sure. They have to be open to me be saying like, oh, you're not ready. <laughs> oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't want to say that. Like, they make that decision. But, you know, what What I've seen sometimes from people is they, they just – um, they're like, well, yeah, he never asked me to be, you know, and it may not just be with you, but I've seen that in other churches. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. all right, father, I, I do, uh, I appreciate so much. You taking the time and spending some time with us today. It was very, very fruitful. It was my joy. My joy. God bless you guys and your work here. And, uh, forgive me, uh, if I've said anything that's caused anybody any confusion or anything, so. For sure. Awesome. Thank you so much, Father. And, you know, I think uh, I think it's probably good, too, for us, uh, Doc, if you've got anything final to say. No, I just love uh, just to kind of touch back on, like, what Father was saying, too. It's like a lot of us come from really, like, bad and, like, crazy backgrounds. But it's so amazing what with, with God and his grace, like, what he can do with, like, such wretches, you know, like ourselves. So, it's, yes, that's that's pretty much it for me, you know. Yeah. Right on. All right, guys. Well, thanks everybody for listening or if you're checking this out later and uh, be sure to check out uh, again, uh, Father Turbo has a podcast. It's called The Royal Path. It comes out weekly. I believe it usually comes out like Wednesday-ish. You know, um, it's Father Turbo with two other of his um, spiritual children. And yeah. uh, it's it's a really good podcast. They dive into 
um, they've been doing a lot of the uh, the Nicene Creed, but then um, you know a little bit kind of okay. diving into a few other things as well. But a lot of kind of bringing current topics as well. Awesome. Oh yeah, please. Um, and again, I just want to encourage anybody take advantage of Doc and and Seraphim and um, get out there, guys. Get get into it. Don't um, don't be shy. You know, so get into it. Awesome. Yeah. So this is this is uh, Romeo, aka Seraphim, and uh, we are out.